welcome to Church Experience Online. We're so happy you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you would like to access helpful growth step resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience Worship original songs. And we hope that gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. I got that, that sick feeling in my stomach talking about money. But okay, we're going to have a little fun with this. I want you to turn to somebody next to you. Just look them in the eyes and say, show me the money. Come on. Say it like you mean it. Say, show me the money. <laughs> All right, now, now look back at the person that just said that and say, you're buying lunch because I ain't got any money. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, we're going to have fun because money is a, is a difficult topic to handle. You know, it's, it's something that everybody's talking about, right? I mean, you see it in videos online, on YouTube. I mean, this one, you saw the Ty's video, and just by the way, they, they proved that the house he's living in, he leased it, same thing with the, the fancy car, but anyway, this is just kind of a fun side thing. But anyway, you know, money is just a, it's a challenging topic because whether you have a lot of money or you have a little bit of money, or you say, I'm broke today, I got no money, wherever you're at, it can be a stressful, challenging topic, and it's elusive. Just about the time you think you got money figured out, something unexpected happens, and it changes, and then you're trying to figure it out all over again. So money is a tough topic, and, you know, it's kind of like this. I was leaving out of our house the other day, going out the, the back door. I was going to the backyard, a door that I, I don't use very much at all, and apparently no one had walked out this door for a while because when I opened the door and I walked out, I walked right into a spider web. Isn't that the worst? And I'm a dancer when I get in the spider web. I'm like a, you know, that kind of thing. And then, like, you get a few feet away from it, and, and you still you feel like you feel something on you, and you know there was a spider in the spider web, so you're like, you're like doing this kind of thing. You're like, I, I'm, I'm definitely a way overreactor when I walk through the spider webs. Anybody feel me on that? I'm not alone, am I? Okay, okay, I feel better. I'm better about that. But I, I think money, to me, it feels sometimes like walking into a cobweb of complexity. You know, it's, it's like there's so many facets to it, and it, it, it's difficult to understand. It can be stressful. It can be frustrating, disappointing. And it seems like it's not just when you have no money that's frustrating and challenging. Is that If you get out of debt finally or you finally get a little money in the bank, then it's even more stressful because now there's something to manage. And there's, there's always more needs or wants than there is money available. And, and money can just be, for so many people, a cobweb of complexity. How do I, how do I think about money? And, and here's, here's my hope in this teaching series. We're not actually going to talk a lot about just money. We're going to talk about how to think about money, how to think about our stuff, how to think about the things of this world. Because here's, here's the deal. We could talk about practical stuff, but, but honestly, you can get online. You can Google search. If you want to learn how to build a budget, you want to figure out how to invest your money or get out of debt. I mean, there's 101 people who will tell you how to do that. And most of them will charge you to teach you how to do that. But, but just, if you want that, that's out there. 
but, but my thought is that if we could talk about how to think about money and how to think about stuff, that'll actually change our lives. Because you can go figure out the practical, but if you're not thinking right about money and possessions and the things of this world, then, then you're going to go chase down the wrong stuff. So, so my hope is that we can adjust how we think about money. And I titled today's message specifically, Winning with Money. Winning with Money. Because I, I think that's everyone's goal is that they want to win. It's just everybody has a, dif- a different definition of what winning looks like. And, and our world sells us on, what you saw in the video earlier, uh, a certain kind of winning, which is all about bigger, newer, better, and more. And, and that's winning. But, but God has a little bit different view on what winning actually looks like with our money and our stuff. But when you find out what God's more is, because it's also a more, it's just not the same as a more greed-driven culture that we live in. When you find out God's abundant more when it comes to the things of this world, you're gonna see that it's actually far better than what our world has to offer you. So there is actually a more for you to chase. It's just a bigger more, it's a better more. So that's where we're going, how to, how to win with money. Well, let's look at a very interesting story that Jesus told. In Matthew chapter 25, it's a story that we're gonna learn a lot of powerful and helpful lessons from. I hope you'll take notes today. This is something that I think will help and bless you, but if not you, maybe something you can teach your kids one day or friends going through a hard time. I think this will really help. Verse 14, Jesus says, again, again it will be like a man going on a journey, called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Let me pause there for a moment. I'm gonna get back into the story in a second about this wealthy man who entrusts his property to his servants. But before we come back to that, I want you to notice this first word. It says again. So it means he's already been talking about something and he's illustrating it and he's reinforcing it again. And if you zoom out and you read Matthew chapter 20 and 24 and 25, you'll see that Jesus was actually uh, using a series of different stories to communicate a central truth. And, and all of this was about one day when the Lord comes back. When Jesus comes back, because we believe that he came, he died on a cross for our sins, he rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, and one day he's coming back. That's been a central uh, core truth of our Christian faith for 2,000 years, that he's coming back. He said he's going to come back, and everything he's ever promised has come true. We believe he's going to come back. And that will begin a new era in human history and usher in eternal life. And so he's talking about that day, the day of the Lord. And so he's illustrating that, and he says, again, It will be like a man going on a journey. And he's illustrating, as you're going to see, this man is related to God. These servants, in in some ways, are relating to us. And he says, this man goes on a journey, and he entrusts his wealth to them, to his his servants. Verse 15, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So this was written in a a different language than English, of course, and it was written in the original Greek language, and they've translated it, bags of gold here. One one translation refers to them as talents. But either way, if you you study this, you'll see that in the the Roman government, the currency that they would use, one of the currencies that they would use would be these talents. It could be silver or gold, but it would translate into their common currency, which would be a silver denarii. And a silver denarii was, was typically worth one day's wage for an average laborer. A talent, one talent, or one bag of gold here, as they translated it, was worth 10,000 silver denarii. So this bag of gold was not just a little chunk of change. This was massive wealth, 10,000 silver denarii. Scholars say that this is somewhere between 20 and 30 years worth of work for an average day laborer. 
So when Jesus is telling this story, I mean, we're, we're translating this 2,000 years later in a, on the other side of the ocean in a different language. But when he was communicating this, they would have all got it. He, he said, you know, this, this wealthy man goes on a journey, three servants, he entrusts them with this, these treasures, and, and all of them get a large amount of money. It, to us, they're like, oh, one bag of gold. Oh, he didn't get that much. That, that was worth 20 to 30 years of wages. So all of them got a, a substantial amount of money. And, and look at verse 14 again. It says, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, and he entrusted his wealth to them. So those two, important, those two words are very important. He entrusted. He's like, I, I trust you with this. <laughs> and don't screw this up. <laughs> this is really important. This is a lot of money. I'm entrusting it to you. And it was wealth. It, it was it was a physical, tangible uh, currency, and he says, I'm entrusting this to you, great riches. You know, you and I have been given so much more than what we think. So much more. In fact, I put it this way in your notes. Maybe you want to write this down. God has entrusted me with, with so much. He's entrusted me with so much. And maybe you just want to underline so much. He's, he's so much he's given me. Because what God has entrusted you with is way more than what I think you think about when you wake up on an average day. So, I know a lot of us might see a video like that or we might see a friend or we might see something online and think, man, I, I wish I had that. I wish I had a little more. Uh, man, I, I wasn't born into a multi-million uh, millionaire family. Man, that would be cool. Or I don't live in a nice house like that or drive a nice, I wish I had more. And our, our world is driven by this and some of your worst financial decisions you'll ever make are driven by this, the Bible calls it greed, this unsatisfying desire for more. There's always, man, I wish I had more. Everybody say more. I, I wish I had more. And, and this, this master entrusts his servants with more, more than what they had, more than what he had to give them, but he gives them more. And even the one who got the smallest amount was given way more. Everybody say more. See, you might be tempted to look at people in our world that have more than you, and say, I wish I had more. But, but what if you took a, a step back and you say, you know what? God's actually given me more already. Because there's people in our world that look at you. And you say, well, I don't have more. I wish I had more. But there's people that look at you in your life. And they would just give about anything to have the freedoms that you have. I wish I was born in a free country. Or man, I wish I was born in a home that had a loving parent. I wish I could have a child, or I wish I could be in a relationship. I wish I had a good job. I wish I, I, wish I had a, a home that had air conditioning. I, I wish I had access to clean water. And, and the little that you think you've been given, some, some, some of us are, are kind of jaded about life or toward God or toward a parent. Like, I, I wish I would have been given more. I, look, at, look how much they got. And in this story, this servant, he got five bags of gold. See, the master entrusts his wealth, as you're going to see in the story. He entrusts his wealth to three servants. One gets the five, one gets two, one gets one. And, 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 and the guy with two could easily say, well, hey, why didn't I get five? I wish I had more. I want more. And when you live driven by, I need more to be happy, you forget to look back and say, well, it could be a lot worse. And you also, you also have a discontent in your spirit that causes you to miss out on two of the greatest gifts God wants to give you. Peace and joy. Peace and joy. When you can live content and grateful, God gives you so much joy inside and so much peace. When you, when you can wake up and say, oh, God, thank you. There's air in my lungs and you've given me a new day. Thank you. This is a gift. How many of us took that for granted when we woke up today? I just didn't think about it. Just we're entitled to another day. 
Did you think about the, the fact that you're here and healthy enough to be here, to walk into this room, that there are people, lots of people, who would love to give up, get up out of their hospital bed and walk into a room like this and be here today? I mean, there's so many people that wish they had another day. And time was cut short, and they wish they had more. But you have it. And, and we could talk about the possessions in our life, but it's, it's kind of hard because it's different for everyone in the room. But, but you, you probably have a roof over your head and food in your stomach, and you probably got here through some form of transportation. And, and all these things are desired by people around the world. But even if we could just take all that away for a moment and say, fundamentally, what do we all have in common? We have all been offered, and most of us have received it, but maybe some haven't, but, but we've all been offered the gift of God's grace. So, so God has offered us the greatest gift of all time that, that even though we, we sinned and we rebelled against God, that we spit in his face and caused the death of his son Jesus on a cross, he said, I love you too much to just look the other way and say, well, forget about you. He, he said, I, he, there's, there's no way to describe how great God's love is. It's greater than any mountain, it's deeper than any valley, it's wider than any ocean. He said, there's, there's nothing that can separate you from my love. I love you so much. And, and God loved us enough to forgive us and give us grace and a relationship with him, the hope of heaven when we die, that, that this short life, the Bible calls it a vapor, a breath. And, and those of you who have, are around children, you know how true that is because you look at them and you're like, man, you were just born the other day. Now look at you, it's like you grow. It's like life, what do we say, it's flying by. And life is a vapor, but those of us who are in Jesus, we're promised eternal life. And the best life is still coming. This isn't the best life. It's better than what we can imagine. So, so God's given us this offer of grace. So we, here, here's what I'm trying to say. We have been given much, and that's why you needed to write that down. It's in your notes. God has entrusted me with so much. Write it down and circle that so much. He's entrusted me with so much. He's given me a lot. He's given me a lot. Maybe it would be helpful this week just to take a moment and think about all that God's given you. What if your prayer time this week, if you just spend a little extra time thinking through the areas of your life, I, I think if you did, did this, I think you'll look a little deeper into the eyes of the people who you live with, and, and I think you'll, you'll be a little more grateful for the job that you have on Monday morning that you normally hate going in on Monday, but God, thank you for providing a job for me. I, I hope to have a better job one day, but thank you for this job. My family's not perfect or my friend's not perfect, but man, God, thank you for these wonderful people in my life. It'll change your viewpoint. But some of our worst money decisions, some of our worst life decisions are driven by this discontent that can get in your spirit. And by the way, it's not reserved for people who have a little. In fact, I contend it grows the more you have. The more you have, the more you want, and you never get enough. This is why people who are millionaires go bankrupt. And you see this, and you're like, how in the world? Or people that win the lottery, like a few years later, they're broke. Like, how, how does that happen? You're like, if I just had a little bit of that. It's because the more you get, the more you want. You, it's never, the wealth will never satisfy that longing in your soul. Some of you are like, well, I'd like to try. <laughs> but, but it will never, it will never, it can't. It can't offer what you're looking for. And so a lot of our worst decisions are driven by the fact we don't, we don't think about possessions like this. We think, our world thinks, Get more, get more, get more. Then you'll be happy. Get more, get more. But you get to more and you're like, well, somebody else has more. Somebody's got five and I've only got two. I'm going to get more. You get to there. Somebody's got 10. I'm going to get more. We never can get enough to make us feel that internal joy and peace. So if you could just time out on the playing field, and it doesn't mean you stop advancing your career, that you stop trying to save or stop trying to get out of debt or whatever your situation is. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying here is, is if you could call a timeout and look at your current situation in life. And, and what if on Monday the veil could be just taken away and you could walk around 
your, your apartment, your home, your workplace, uh, among the people that you associate with, and be like, God, thank you. What gifts all around me? It would just change how you live. You would have a deeper sense of joy and peace than many people who have a lot more than whatever it is that you have. So God's entrust me as much. It's one of the ways I got to think about life and money. It's, it's a game changer. But I also want you to notice this. It says he entrusted. He entrusted his wealth to them. So it was the master's wealth. It wasn't the servant's wealth, was it? That, that servant, that was probably a good day. He comes home and tells his wife, my boss, he gave me 30 years worth of money. She's like, that's great. What are we going to go do with it? Let's go on vacation. He said, well, hold on. He didn't say I get to keep it. He just says I got to manage it. She's like, oh, all right, whatever. <laughs> Don't lose it. Don't screw it up. You know, it's like, but like, it, was, it, was, it wasn't like, oh, this is mine. I'm going to go spend it. It's, you know, he said, I have entrusted it to you. I want you to manage it. If they would have gone out and spent it, they would have stolen it. It wasn't theirs. It was theirs to manage. And I put it this way in your teaching notes. If I could just think about my life this way, I'm a manager for God. I'm a manager. Everything I have, my life, if God gives me 40 years, that would be incredible. If he gives me 80 years, that'd be even better. If he gives me 100 years, great. I don't know how many years he's given me. I don't know how many years he's given you. But every day is a gift, and I'm a manager of it. I don't get to keep it. It comes and goes. It's a gift from on high. It's a gift from God, the creator. I didn't create myself. He created me, gave me life. So every day it's a gift, and I manage that day. How am I going to use this day? Am I managing it well? I'm a manager. I'm, I'm a manager. I'm not an owner. The Bible says this all over the place. Everything is God's. The cattle on a thousand hills. It's all his. It's not mine. Now, how do you know it's not yours? Well, do you get to keep it? <laughs> That's how you know if it's yours. You get to keep it. Naked you come into the, to the world, naked you leave. You, you, don't, you don't take any of it with you when you die. So I don't get to keep it forever. I manage it for a short time. I might have the title to a vehicle or a home, but, but that's, that's a temporary possession in your life. It won't last forever. You won't get to take it with you when you die. It's, I'm a manager. I'm a manager. Let me explain it this way. So our family has been given such a great gift by my wife's parents that they have some good friends that they've, they've known for most of their life in North Carolina, and every year for 13 years, Every year of my, my children's lives, like they have, their friends have invited her, Jennifer's parents and all Jennifer and her siblings and all the grandkids to come and use their beach house in North Carolina for a week. And it's an amazing house. It's, it's right on the ocean. It's got a bedroom for each of the families. And for 13 years now, we've had a week there where we can just go and enjoy, and it's, it's a beautiful setting. And, and, and it's, 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 honestly, it's a very nice, expensive house. And, and more than once, we looked at each other like, we could never afford something like this. This is pretty cool. Like, we would never be able to do this. But this, what a gift. And it's right on the ocean. And a few of the things I love about it is, is I love to surf. So, so right at the end of the boardwalk going out from this house, it's like right on the ocean, like for a whole week. One week every summer, like, I just, I just, surf my mind out. Like, I'm looking for sharks, but I'm catching waves, like, all, all week long. I love that. And one of my other favorite things about this house is there's a swing on the porch. Now, I don't know what my, my places, my accommodations are going to be like in heaven. I'm not too worried about it. I know it's going to be better than here, but, but one of the things I hope that God has, I hope there's a swing somewhere, right next to the crystal sea, because I love, that's like one of my favorite times all year. I can sit there, and I can read, and, and there's the breeze that goes across the deck because the ocean, and I'll read. I'll look out at the water. I'll pray. You know, I'll take a little nap. One of the kids will come by and cuddle up with me for a little bit. I just, I love, I love that spot. I mean, that's, that's one of my favorite spots. And then, and then probably my best spot, my favorite place at the beach house is this right here. It's the hot tub. The hot tub looking out over the ocean, looking at the pool. The kids are playing. I'm sitting there. I go in this thing three or four times a day because that's just like, it feels so good. And the views, I mean, it, it's incredible. And I know I only got it for a week, but I'm like, I'm going to enjoy this thing. Well, this year we show up, this last summer we showed up 
13th year, and we get to the, the house, and so thankful to be there, and everyone's excited and getting ready, and, and, and her dad's like, hey, guys, just so you know, I, I hate to tell you this, but the hot tub that the owner told us, it's broken. It's broken this year. Something inside of me died, like, no! It's like my favorite part, but, but man, we had a great time, and you know, this, this house for us, it's such a gift. It almost feels like a home away from home. One, one week, every year, it's been given. It's, it's a gift. We don't know if it'll happen again the next year. The next year, it's just every year we're thankful. Wow, another year. But when we, when we show up with all the grandkids, eight, nine grandkids now, all the cousins, everybody's there. It's such a great time. Uh, Jennifer's mother comes with all these sheets because in the living room right there with the windows looking out the water, they have this really nice light-colored furniture. And we all know with this many kids, the chance of that stuff getting stained is, is very high, and they're like, this is not our furniture, this is not our house, clearly, we want to take good care of it, so, so we'll put this sheets over the furniture, over the chairs, over the couches, we, I mean, we cover everything, because we don't want, we don't want to mess this place up, every year, her dad, he's a handyman, he's got some kind of project for us, one year, he's like, hey guys, I noticed on this deck going out to the beach, which is like a quarter mile long, he's like, I noticed the nails have kind of started to come up on the edges, and so he passes out hammers to all of us, he's like, let's go hammer in all those nails, so we're out there two hours in the sun on vacation going, ba-boom, 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 like just knock, I mean, every year, there's some kind of project, we fix up the house, do something, they don't ask us to do it, he just, he wants to do that, when we leave, we clean this place spectacularly, in fact, they try to shoo out as many of the families and kids as they can, and, 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 and her mom wants to be, like, the last one to leave, and she, and she, like, vacuums as she leaves on the way out the door so there's not even a footprint on the carpet. Like, this place looks immaculate when we leave, like, better than when we got there, for sure, every year. It's, it's always, and see, the mentality of it is, like, this is not ours. <laughs> we want to take really good care because we have to give it back. We don't get to keep it. Like, this is just one week, and it's a gift and, and they're being so generous, so we want to take good care of it, leave it better than we got it. Wow. What if I could see my life like that? Because that is how my life is. This is on loan from God. It's a gift. What if I can view everything I have, my family, my possessions, my bank account, my body, everything is on loan from God, and, and I just my role is to be a good manager, that would just change how I fundamentally think about money, how I think about stuff, how I think about my life. I mean, wouldn't it, I mean, all of us want to be healthy. You know, we want to live a long life. We don't want to die of a heart attack halfway through or something like this. We, we want to be healthy. We want to have energy. But it seems like it's, it's somewhat rare for people to be healthy. It's like, I know I should be healthy. But what if I change my mentality, like, I should be healthy so I can do more and get more out of life? It's like, you know what? God's entrusted me with this body. The Bible says that your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit of God who lives in you. So this is not mine. This is, this is on loan. This is on loan. God, I would have loved some bigger muscles, but it's cool. I, next time. <laughs> if you haven't, maybe you give me some bigger muscles. But, but I'm, I'm good. This is, a, this is what you gave me, God. Thank you. I'm going to take good care of it. I want to exercise. I want to eat right. I want to, because it's on loan. And I, I want to I live a long life to fulfill the purposes of God if that's what he wants. I want to have full energy to bring to everything I do. So, so I'm not managing this body for me. I'm not managing my finances for me so I can get more and have more. I'm not managing my relationships or my family for me. It's, it's, it's for God. Do everything for the glory of God. So I'm a manager for God as a game changer with how I view my life and my stuff. Matthew 25, verse 16. Let's read a bigger portion of this, this story. It's really good. He it says, the man had received five bags of gold. He went at once and he put his money to work and he gained five bags more. And, and there's a principle in there too. Most people work for money, but wise people get their money to work for them. 
And he went and he put that money to work in verse 16, uh, or excuse me, down in verse uh, 17. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned. And keep in mind, Jesus is telling this whole story in the context of the coming, soon coming return of the Lord. And, and so he's saying, the master's going to come back one day. You know that you're going to stand accountable for God for everything that he gives you, right? I mean, just so we're clear. I mean, that's what he's saying here. And, and, and he says that he comes back. Verse 20, he comes back to settle accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. Verse 21, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So these guys who are given a lot gained more. They were good managers. Did you, did you get that sense that that's what the point of Jesus' story was in this portion of the story? And, that, and then that's what the master liked? Hey, you, you, gained, you kept it safe, one, and you, and you gained more. So well done, good and faithful steward, servant, manager, however you want to describe what he's saying. You've been faithful. Way to be a great servant. Way to be a good manager. What I gave you, it's still there. And it's better than when I found it. It's better than when I found it. See, you already are a manager. Some of you, you don't, you don't think of your life as like, I'm a manager of my life. But you already are a manager. You already are a manager. It's not a question of are you a manager. The question is, am I a good manager or a bad manager? These two first guys, they were good managers. And I put it this way in your notes. God expects good management of what he's given. Whatever God has given you, and you can make your own list. I would contend that your list of what God's given you is actually bigger than whatever you think it is. I think that God's given you more than what you realize. You had a warm shower in the last 24 hours. There's, there's a lot of people that would love to have that. You have a roof over your head. There's a lot of people in the Bahamas right now who would love to have that. You, you, you've been given so much, so much. God expects good management of everything that he's given me. You know, honestly, I want to be completely transparent on this. I struggled with this as a kid. <laughs> I, I resisted this. I pushed against it. Uh, I, the home I grew up in, I grew up two young brothers, and I was so blessed to have my own bedroom, which was such a cool thing, because and, and I, I, I got to do whatever I wanted in there most of the time. Because every once in a while, mom or dad would peek in there, and this domain of mine that I had filled with army guys and Legos and all kinds of cool stuff, all I just built all kinds of fun, cool stuff, they would peek in there and be like, you need to clean this up, Brandon. <laughs> let's, let's get this clean by Friday. This, this needs to be all cleaned up. And I'm like, come on, really? This is my room. Nobody comes in here. Why? Clean it up. That's, that's who we are. That's what we do. Clean it up. And, and one time, I, I will never forget, my mother walked into my room, and she had warned me, clean it up. I was slow on getting to clean up. Clean it up. I was slow on cleaning up. She comes in my room with a broom and a garbage bag. And she walks over to my stuff, my toys, and she starts sweeping them into the garbage bag. I go, Mom, what are you doing? She's like, I'm taking the trash out. I'm like, no, Mom, that's my stuff. She's like, well, I told you to clean it up. I'm like, Mom, no. She's like literally sweeping stuff in. And she's like, if you don't clean it up, I just want you to see what's going to happen. I cleaned it up. <laughs> I cleaned it all up. But you know what? As great as my parents were, and I loved being at home with them, so thankful for that season of my life. Very blessed, very grateful upbringing. But when I turned 18, come on, 
How many know that was a good day? I got out on my own. Oh, thank you, God. I got my own place. I got my own little apartment. I'm in college. I'm, I'm just loving life. I'm on my own because now I can tack up my surf posters to my wall, right? I, I can put my lawn chair in the living room. I, I can just do whatever I want. I can leave the Doritos bag out on the table. Whatever I want. This is my place, my domain. It's, it's like no one's coming through like, hey, clean this up. You know, friends come over. This place is messy. It's, who cares? It's my place, right? And, and so I resisted. I resisted this being a good manager a little bit. But then, but then after dating Jennifer for a couple of years and, get, and, and being engaged for a year, we got married. And then, and then things changed. <laughs> because now there was two of us in this little apartment. And, and, and Jennifer, we had friends come over. She said, you know what? We got to clean this place up. And I was like, thinking back to childhood, oh, no. <laughs> Why can't we just leave it how it is? Let's just be real, right? Let's just, this is, you know, it was pretty clean, but there's some few dishes in the sink, and, and there's a little bit of laundry down there in the hallway, and a couple things are out of place. Can't we just leave it? Let's just be who we are. Let's, let's be authentic, right? <laughs> let's just be real. I'm just telling you how it was. This is, I literally voiced this and felt this, like our first few years of marriage. Let's just, can't we just be, and it's like, no, we're going to get, we're going to do our best. We're going to put our best in. We're going to make it look great. And I'm like, why do we have to do that? I resisted that. Well, I, I finally started to grow up a little bit in this, and I was like, okay, this is who we are. We, we do things well, and this is what the Bruce family is going to look like. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best, and I started to grow and mature in that, but I don't think my final lesson came until I moved to Florida. We've been here about five and a half years, and one of our first Christmases here, I was getting to know a neighbor across the street. I invited him over and just to talk, and I said, hey, you want to see my house? We, you know, we, we did our floors and stuff. You want to come check it out? And he's like, yeah, just building a relationship. I invite him in. I forget that we're in the middle of Christmas decorating. We walk in the front door. Never invite someone without letting your spouse know ahead of time, like two days ahead of time. And I invite him in the front door, and I forgot there's Christmas bins I'd pulled out of the garage all over the living room. Couldn't even see the floor. Christmas ornaments. We're in the middle of setting up, you know, the tree and the ornament. I mean, it's, it's a mess. I'm like, man, I'm sorry. It's not normally like this. We normally keep it pretty clean. Let's go in the other room. I walk him into the other room. We'll the kids have been decorating that room. So that looked even better. It was stuff everywhere, and they're setting their tree up, and the ornaments, and all this stuff. I walk them around every room. It's the same way. I leave, and, and my wife looks at me like, don't ever do that again. <laughs> That's, that, that was so bad. It was embarrassing. Like, our house is trash. He's going to think we live like this all the time. And, and, and I, I, learned, I learned a lesson there. You, you know, you, you always want to do your best. You always want you to do your best. But, but I think the, the part of me, the, the, the honest, honest tension is like, well, why can't I just be me? You know, God wants me to be a manager, but, but I don't always feel like being excellent. I don't always feel like doing things the right way. Sometimes I just, this is kind of who I am, right? And, and I've been learning something on this in the last few years that I think will help you as you think about your, your, your family, your career, whatever it is. If you think about managing, think about this. Everything I do, everything I do speaks to who I am, my character, and it speaks to whose I am, my identity. Maybe you want to jot that down in the margins. Everything I do speaks to who I am, my character, and whose I am, my identity. And, and you know what? Naturally, we don't want to do things excellently. Not, not always. Sometimes we have motivations. But, but, but usually, like, we just kind of do what's the path of least resistance, right? I mean, we just naturally do. We, and, and, and it kind of is just kind of how we are. In fact, when, if you take this into a bigger spiritual conversation, this is why I don't get into conversations with people who say, I was born that way. And some believers like, feel like it's their purpose to debate people on, well, were you born this way? Do you have this propensity to this certain sin or that certain sin, whatever their thing is? Uh, th th I was born this way or not. And there's research studies on both sides and all these things and whatever. I, I don't usually get in that conversation because I'm just going to go ahead and admit 
I was born this way. I was born a sinner. So my propensity is to sin. Your propensity is to sin. And I'll contend the Bible says that all of us, our propensity is to sin. Now, there's different kinds of sin, and your, your preferred sin is probably different than the next person next to you, but the Bible says we've all sinned. So I'm already going to go ahead and admit I was born a sinner. I, I want to I do things that, that, that I want to do. I don't want to do things God's way. I want to go out and have a lot of fun. I want to just do whatever I want to do, and whatever I think fun is, that's what I want to do. That's my natural bent. But does that mean that's what I should do? No. If, if, if I'm addicted to some substance or I'm an alcoholic, does that mean that I should do that just because that feels good or it's hard to No. Not that, that's going to ruin my life. It might be the thing that feels most natural, but it doesn't mean it's the right thing for me. And sometimes we get stuck in things that are so strong and maybe there's so much background or maybe I, I, this is who I am. It might take a professional counselor, it might take an accountability partner, it might take a good friend, it, it might take a lot of work to get out of that, whatever it is, but my propensity is to not do things well. All right, here's why this makes a huge difference in my thinking about life and about money and about possessions. If my identity is still in the natural self, then I'm gonna use authenticity, which is kind of a buzzword these days. That's like the kind of hip-hop thing to say, just, you know, let's be authentic, let's be real. If, 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 if I am not careful, I will use authenticity as an excuse to excuse me out of living and walking in the new identity that I am in Christ. Because if you think about it, the Bible says in Corinthians, the old has gone, what's come? The new has come. When you receive Christ into your life, there's a new identity. You're, you're a child of a king now. Listen, you're the son or the daughter of a king. A king who does everything well. Study scripture. How does God do things? What's his authentic identity? What is it? How does God do things? He does all things well. Everything. Heaven, the worst thing in heaven is made of gold. The streets are of gold. Everything is splendid and spectacular and excellent. How did he make the temple of God a, a foreshadowing of, of what is to come? Everything was, was made so excellently down to the detail. If you read the Old Testament, you're just blown away. Like, wow, the attention to magnificent detail. Look at creation, especially pre-fall, before this world was destroyed by our sins with violence and poverty and chaos. What, what did the world look like? I mean, God made beautiful zebras and giraffes and elephants and, and if you've been to an aquarium if you have any idea what's under the ocean and we're still learning I mean all these beautiful tropical fish and the variety and the diversity I mean look at a person look in their eyes the systems of our body how orderly everything works together so well the changing of the seasons the earth spinning on its axis the light that gives way to the darkness that gives way to the light so perfectly every 24 hours everything from sunrise to to sunset is excellent. It's incredible. This is who my father is. He adopted me into his family. As a follower of Jesus, I'm his son. I'm a child of a king who has an eternal kingdom with an inheritance that's beyond what I can imagine. That's my new identity. So everything I do, the Bible tells me, do it for the glory of God. Live in light of who he is, my new identity in him. So everything I manage my money, my apartment or my home, my relationships, my body, everything should be managed in light of who I am. I'm a child of the king. I, and whose I am, I'm his. My character, my identity is grounded in him. This is so important that I think about life this way. Because I'll never find the right motivation to do things well if my motivation is still self-centered for me. Because a lot of people would say, do things with excellence. There's all kinds of books written on do things well. 
but it's always self-serving. Do things well so that you can grow your thing or get more of this or, you know, whatever. That, that motivation will fade the moment that I come up against something that's harder, more difficult or challenging than whatever my current motivation level is. So how do I sustain some of these changes in my life? It's working on my interior motivations. My motivations, it should be what you see in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. It says, whatever you do, so that's everything. That's very comprehensive. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. So hold on. That means that in my little cubicle at work or in my little delivery truck or whatever it is that career that I have going, that means that I know I have a boss. I know I need to do my work in a sense for them so that, you know, that they're pleased and I'm, I'm honoring them, I'm respectful for them. But I don't keep my little cubicle or my office clean or my, my delivery truck clean or whatever it is that I do. I don't keep my computer organized or whatever the thing is that I'm doing. I don't, I don't do that for the boss. I don't even do it for myself. I want to do that because I'm managing what God's given for him. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm doing it for him. He does all things well. I'm his child. I want to do what I do with excellence for him because I'm his child. Does that make sense? But here's what's really cool. It goes on. It says, do everything you do for the Lord, not for human masters. Verse 24, since you know, look at that. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Wow. So I'm the child of a king and I have an inheritance. So there is a more that's coming. And it's, an, it's a more from God. It's far better than what this world offers. That's good news. And in heaven, because we know Heaven is described, it's, it, we, we're told it's beyond what we can imagine. It's better than anything we've ever seen. But it gives us little breadcrumbs, a little trail, of just hints of what it's going to be like. And we know enough to know this, that it will be excellent in every way. So that means when I excuse myself, I'm just being me, I'm just kind of doing, this is just how it is, that I'm actually choosing the way of the world. Because in heaven, there won't be any of that. There won't be anything that's substandard, halfway done, managed poorly. There won't be any of that. Heaven will be excellent. So if I'm choosing to be sloppy at what I do and half-hearted and I don't really care, not only am I disobeying the command of Scripture to do everything I do with all my heart as doing it for the Lord, I'm kind of walking in the way of my old self, not my new identity. So how I think about how I manage money, I don't feel like I don't, I'm not a budget person. I'm not a numbers person. I just kind of... Swipe the card. <laughs> you know, that's, that, not only is that going to get you into a world of trouble and cause a lot of stress in your life, but that's not being a good manager. Like, God's given this to me to manage well. So it's not, do I feel like going out to eat? Is there enough money in the bank account? Do I, do I feel like buying a bigger thing or a newer thing? And so what would God want? Let's, let's pray about this. And I'm not trying to over-spiritualize it. I'm just saying, have you prayed about the big purchases in your life? When you, when you go to do something, have you thought, you know, what would... If God's given me this amount of resources and this is my situation, what would he want? He might want you to, to upgrade your, your car that's breaking down all the time. Might, that might be a good investment, and that's going to last you for a while. You shop around and find a good deal. Or maybe this thing that you're about to go do and blow money on, maybe he'd say, you know what? In, in light of everything I've, been, I've given you and the opportunities you have, that's not good management. So I'm just saying it's a different filter. It's a different way to think about what God's given me. He expects me, it's in your notes, to be a good manager. Everything he's given. Am I a good manager? Colossians chapter 3, when it tells us to do it all for the glory of God, 
uh, or to do all things, work at all things with all of our heart as working to the Lord, not for man. Um, this will solve a lot of the, the low-grade frustration in your life when it comes to possessions. Not all of them, but it'll solve a lot of them. Let me, let me explain. Um, when, we, when we got married, it was, of course, just the two of us, and it was really easy to keep our car clean, to be a good manager of our car. It, it, wasn't, it was just pick up after yourself. Like, as long as she got her little cup, you know, and took it in and her purse, and I got the keys in my wallet, and there wasn't anything really left in the car usually. It was just the two of us. But after we had four kids, and they're like infant in a car seat in the back, and then there's a two-year-old, and there's a four- and a six-year-old back there, there's a lot more stuff going on. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you have kids, or you give kids rides, or a nephew. You know what it's like. You got Cheerios in every corner of your vehicle, right? I mean, they're everywhere. It's like a mess. And it's like you want to help them learn to clean up after themselves, and you teach that. But try telling a two-year-old, hey, do you just pick up your Cheerios when you get out of the vehicle? Like, it's not happening. You could try, and you do try, but you're cleaning up. And I always just had this low-grade frustration the first few years of, of children when it w- related to our vehicle because it was just always a mess. And I was like, someone should clean this up. And I was used to just clean up after myself and Jennifer clean up after herself. But, but now someone's got to clean up after the kids, right? And they're so young. And, and so I, it was always a mess. And I just, I, I was like, always like, man, this is not taking care of our vehicle. And I just, I didn't like it. And, and one day I, I realized, I'm like, you know what? I got to take responsibility. I, I'm a manager of this vehicle. And, and one day my two-year-old will be a 12-year-old and they'll know how to clean up after themselves. But in the interim, like, if I want a clean vehicle, I got to own this. And so the last several years, however many years it's been, like, pretty much once a week, usually on my, my day off, I'll go out there for just 15 minutes or so. Or I'll go out there with a the shop vac where I even got a little hand vac a couple Christmases ago that I can use on the days when there's not much. But I'll, I'll go out there, and I'll clean out in between the seats and under everything. And I'll, and, and I'll get it looking nice, and I'll step back, and I'm like, that looks good. For about two days, and <laughs> then it's back to where it was. But, but I, I feel good about that because I feel like I'm managing my, my vehicle's got 200 plus thousand miles on it now. We've driven it all over the place. So it's, it's, it's getting up there, but, but I feel good about managing it. And I'm like, That's, that looks good. I'm taking good care of what I have. I had to learn that if I want to manage well, I have to take ownership. So I don't think I own my vehicle. I think God's, God owns it. But if I want to be a good manager, I have to view it through, hey, I'm, I got to own responsibility. I don't own this vehicle, but, but I'm managing this, and I'm going to take ownership for managing it well. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 24, if we can go back to this story, there's, there's more to it. And this is where the story really takes a turn and gets interesting. The, the man who had received the one bag of gold, he came, and he, and, and he said, Master, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. It's never good to do things out of fear. I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. You know, he, he relates, him, relates this responsibility to a bank. And if you could think of yourself like a bank for a second, all the things in your life, all the responsibilities in your life, just, just think about it in this context. Your bank only has two jobs, doesn't it? If you, if you have a little savings account going or a CD or an investment, you only have two requests of that bank, don't you? I mean, other than the sucker that they give you if you ever walk into the branch. But, but you have like two, two things that you hope for. One is that they protect your money. Thankfully, it's FDIC insured, so the, you know, the government's kind of backing it too, but you're hoping that someone keeps that safe. But then on top of keeping it safe, you don't want them just to keep your money safe. You get a little CD going. You, you want to you get that interest rate, maybe, maybe 
maybe some investment, you got 7%, but you, you expect if you leave that money that you've kind of hidden away and you've put it in there, you, you hope that 10 years from now, 30 years from now, that it's more there than what you put in, right? Agreed? This is basic math here. You're hoping that there's more than when you put in. It's two jobs, keep it safe, earn more. This is the same way that, that, that God, when he looks at our life, that he wants. When he, when he looks at our lives, to be a good manager, what does that look like? It means that you take care of whatever he's given you. So all the things in your life, you take good care of it. And that you have a return. I put it this way in your teaching notes, that there is a return on investment. God expects a return on investment. He wants you to, to do something with what he's given you. The, the one life he's given you, he wants you to do something with it. This day, he doesn't want you just to get through the day. He wants you to invest your day and have a good return on whatever it is you put your time into. Everything in your life, the relationships. He doesn't want you just to enjoy that relationship. That's part of it. Take care of that relationship. You care for that person. So, much, so many commands and scriptures we could talk about. Care for them, but also leave them better than you found them. Invest them, raise them up, develop them, encourage them, pray for them. Make it better than where you found it. Leave it better. He expects good management. Luke 12, 48. Let's put this verse up here on the screen. This whole story reminds me of, of this verse in, in Luke 12, Jesus teaching. He says, from, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. But from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more. Everybody say more. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say more. Much more will be asked. So hold on. We, we talked about this at the beginning. The world is always after more. Well, God has a more too. God actually wants more for your life, too. This is good news. So, so, so Brendan, you're not bashing, like, you know, you know accomplishing goals and, and, and trying to grow my career or save up more money or get out of debt. Not at all. I'm not, I'm not saying anything against those things in themselves. I, let's put this verse back up here. I actually am contending that God does want more out of your life. But, but check this out. The one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. God's more is about multiplication. He, we've already talked about how he's entrusted you with much more than you realize, but he wants you to take what he has given you and multiply it to, to make it better, to make it more. Now, the world's way of more, that, that, that equates to a very linear more dollars, more in the bank account, more stuff, more, more vacations, more whatever it is. God's more is different. It's better. It's eternal. In fact, it doesn't come down to even money. Ultimately, the greatest more, the greatest management you can do with your life is that God's kingdom grows, that lives are changed through your life, that more of God's love is released into this world, more compassion. God will do more through the life of somebody who's generous. In fact, if you manage your life, well, let's finances, for example, you manage your finances well, and there's margin there. There's, there's cushion there. Your debts are paid. You have money in the bank. You can be generous. When a, when a hurricane, thank God it didn't hit Florida, but it, it destroyed the Bahamas, and you see these pictures, you can be generous, and, and you can say, all right, I, I want to give to that. I want to help people who are in need, who don't have a roof over their head tonight like I do. I, I want to I give because you've been a good manager. See, out of the overflow of what the more is that God does in your life, more people can be touched, more lives can be changed. When you give on a week-to-week basis in, in a church setting, you're allowing more lives to experience Jesus and being taught God's word. You're allowing more of the next generation to be raised up and taught about Jesus. When you give to a friend who's hurting, you're giving more of God's love and compassion. And so, some of you, if you've seen the Bahamas, you're saying, I would love to help. Are we gonna do something? You know, we've done actually lots of food collections here locally. We've given away thousands of pounds of food. We're gonna go serve our city and help rural recovery here this month. There's a lot of things we love to do. We, we provide free counseling for people that they need it. Uh, we give out financial assistance when people are in crisis. There's a lot we do. But I don't think it would serve the people in the Bahamas well if we all bring toilet paper next week and we try to ship down there some stuff that we gather up. Uh, we're gonna let the people who know what they're doing do it well. And so uh, I would encourage you, World Hope International, 
there's a lot of great causes you can give to, so find the one that works for you. But we're recommending World Hope International. It's a Christian organization, and one of the first on the scene. And, and maybe you do want to help. You can get online and give that way. Our church is going to give a check, so part of your giving will go to that. But, but aside from that, um, when, people, when you see people in your life that are hurting, don't you want to have the capacity to give? When you see a ministry that's making an impact for Jesus, don't you want to support that? When, when you see needs in the world or in your own life, what if you could manage what you've been given so well that you have the ability to do that? If it wasn't like, a, oh man, it was like, yeah, I get to. Not I got to, I get to, I get to give. The Bible says to give cheerfully. When we tithe, when we give back to God what he's given us or when, when we're able to help and be generous in some way, it feels now at this point in my life like a get to. It's not a got to. My parents taught me when I was a young boy the principle, this principle, and, and, and kind of like, oh, I gotta give my paper out money. <laughs> I, gotta, I got to give some of it. I can't just spend it all on me. It's like, well, to be a good manager is not just to consume it all. It's to, it's to manage it well for God. It's to, to be generous to others like God's been generous to you. And now at this point in my life, I do. I give joyfully. I, I give because I want to. I get to. So, so am I managing well what God has given me? You know, honestly, this is one of the hardest parts to talk about. It feels like standing on the beach with a 185-mile-an-hour hurricane coming at you when you're, as a preacher, talking about giving. Because this, this comic represents well how I know that we feel, right? It's right here. Yeah, I, I love this. I came across this. Just maybe laugh. Can we, can we throw this up here? This, this guy's getting baptized. He's like, God, you have it all except my wallet. Jesus, like, I'll be baptized, but just that's the one thing I'm holding out. I, I love that. Because... Because here's the thing, I've noticed as a pastor over the years that that's one of the last things that we do. It's the idea of helping somebody else, the idea of being generous, it's one of the last things to go in my spiritual development. But notice, the more that God expects that we do more with whatever he is that he's given us, that more lives are changed, impact is made. Notice here in verse 28, the very end of this story, notice what happens. This is honestly, I'm just gonna give you a warning. This is a difficult part of the story. But Jesus says, about this man in the story, he says, take the bag of gold from him, the one who hid it in the ground, who didn't multiply it, who didn't manage it well. He said, take it from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Well, that doesn't sound fair. Why would he do that? It's because he was a great manager. Remember they were given at the beginning based on their ability, so their track record, how well they managed the little they had determined how much the master entrusted to them. Some of us are praying for more. We're not being faithful now. He managed well, he was given more, but check this out. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant. Wow, Jesus, who's the God of love, is saying this in this story. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God's serious about managing well whatever he's put into our lives. And, and here it is in your notes. God will settle accounts. God will settle accounts. He will settle your account. What's your account look like with Jesus? If he could look at your life and say, hey, I've given you this many years. You're now 20-something, 30-something, 60-something, whatever it is. This is what you've done. Here's your, the status of your relationships, your life. How have you done? What would he say? What's your account look like? Some of you are feeling okay about it. Some of you are not feeling so good about it. But wherever you're at, I want to make you feel worse. <laughs> and I say that with a smile because it gets better. But, but here it is in your notes. We have a very big sin debt. We have a big debt. Some of you uh, may have saw the, the news. 
in Canada, Chase Bank, withdrew their, from their credit card system from the Canadian market. And they gave people a lot of warning on this, and people were paying off their credit cards, and they said, hey, we're not going to be able to use these anymore. We're pulling out. But the other day, this summer, they, they, they actually officially completely pulled out of the Canadian market. And so the, they're not able to use Chase credit cards anymore. They, or they're producing whatever, and so they, they completely pulled out. But the last remaining handful of people that still owed on their card, they were just slow to pay. They're paying it off. You metal, a couple thousand dollars. It's just lingering. Chase said, we're, we're completely withdrawing, and anybody who still owes us on these cards you're forgiven. Like, you don't owe us anything. What a day. You, know, you read your statement. I don't owe the money anymore. Woo! Let's go out to eat, baby. No, no, no. Don't do that. But yeah, this is so good. It's like, we, we, the debt's been paid. What a cool thing. Like, out of nowhere. Some of you are like, man, I wish MasterCard would do that with me. I wish this student loan I've been paying on for 15 years would go away. But imagine if someone came to you and they said, your debt, your house payment, your mortgage, gone. Like, that car loan, you've been, like, just completely forgiven. See, here's the crazy thing. You have a huge debt. What is the gospel in a sentence? It's in your notes. The last lesson, the gospel is Jesus paid it all. Jesus looked at your debt, and he said, that debt that you owe, you've not been a good manager. You've not managed life well. You've sinned. You've spit in my face, ultimately put the Son of God to death because of our sins. He looked at you and me. This is, listen, this is amazing news. You'll never hear anything better. He looked at you, and he said, because I love you so much, because I love you so much, your sin debt, if you believe in Jesus and receive him, receive him into your life, that's completely forgiven. Your debt's paid. You don't owe it anymore. It's on Jesus. He took the wrath of God on himself when he hung on the cross, painfully died for your sins so that you and I could be forgiven. I'm free. I don't owe anybody anymore. I'm debt free. God, thank you that I've been forgiven of my sin debt. I don't owe you anymore. It's been forgiven. I stand before you, not on my own account. It's not because of my works. And although he's talking about being a good manager, and there's so much in these, these stories about being a manager and how much that matters, in the end of the day, I can never manage good enough to impress God. I was a bad manager. I was sinful, and he said, I forgive you because I love you. That's the story of the gospel and the good news of Jesus, that your debt has been paid by a generous and loving God. And then all he says is say, I've forgiven you. You can't repay me. There's no way to do it. But I want you to go and do everything you do with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for man. Go and give your best. Be a good manager. Take what I've given you. Manage it well. Multiply it. May more people be in the kingdom of God. May more people know the love of Jesus because you lived. When you die one day, may it not just be you had some stuff that you don't get to take with you. May it be that you released your life to be a blessing to many so that lives were changed in Jesus' name. Right on. Thanks for joining us at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially. You're now going to hear a Church Experience Worship original song, and we hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today.